go to the Word of God. Um, first, uh, Second Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four. The same uh, passage that we started um, discussing uh, last Sunday, and I had told you at the end of the service that we had left a good portion of the message out, just in the interest of time. But I want to fulfill my promise. I have forgotten all about that agreement. And uh, just last night when I was uh, working on the, some other topic and then I was reminded that, no, this is a, we had said that we would uh, try to delve deeper into this rich, rich passage that is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, I'll read it again just to remind us and refresh our understanding of it. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure the treasure of the gospel, the glorious revelation of God's grace through Jesus Christ. We have this treasure, this revelation, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. Emphasis on from God and not from us. For we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. These are illustrations of this frailty that we incarnate. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We may be struck down, but we are not destroyed. And uh, let's go down further. Well, actually, this may have something to do with what I want to say. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And I just want you to note in your spirit as we go on later on, this idea that we need to experience both the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. We need to exp uh, 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 you know, experience both his crucifixion and who, his resurrection. We need to experience the, the good aspects of the Christian life, quote-unquote good, and also the not-so-pleasant aspects of the Christian life in order to have a full experience of who Jesus is. So he says uh, here, you know, um, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Let us go down to... Uh, um, Verse 16, then let's, let's skip over and I'll, I may come back to the other verses. What is the conclusion of all this complex uh, reflection on the part of the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, about um, suffering and uh, demonstrations of our frailty and our unmerited um, participation in this glorious revelation and the sublime uh, elements of the gospel? this mixture of glory and at the same time frailty. What is the, what is the final conclusion that Paul uh, takes away from all of this? He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. A call to remain encouraged, even as we go through these processes of breaking. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, that is physically, visibly, yet inwardly we are being renewed Day by day, and put an emphasis on renewed there because I will speak about that. We are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Momentary means moment, related to moment, brief. 
Our light and brief troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Notice the disproportion here. A small investment of suffering and frailty with a great dividend, dividend of um, uh, joy and blessing and eternal glory, he describes it. So what is the ultimate, ultimate result of discovering that this is the, what really happens through our sufferings and through our demonstrations of sinfulness and frailty? It, it calls us to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is Eternal. So, you know, what a, what a powerful uh, and a deep, deep revelation of God. Last, last week, I spoke about, uh, again, this experience of frailty, God's great revelation, the, 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 the beauty of the gospel with all of its different elements happens to be carried, expressed, lived out by believers who are jars of clay, given to weakness, given to failure, given to deficits of all sorts in our lives. Um, and it's a paradox, but Paul says, but you know, that's exactly the way God wants it. Uh, this um, experiencing of uh, weakness with, you know, with this great gospel that we have and we announce and we declare and we live out, it's not some sort of unfortunate uh, contradiction. It, that's exactly the way ha the God has designed it. Because through that dark suffering, we actually experience certain things that result in blessing, growth, formation, growing closer to God. So it is a good thing ultimately. That's the whole nature of this uh, passage. And... Uh, so we, we talked about two things, two benefits that are clear out of this experience. Instead of seeing it, oh, God, why, did that, why, did it, why, why is it like that? No. Um, instead of seeing it that way, we should say, okay, God has intentionality. There's a reason for it. And number one, one of the reasons is that it abounds to God's glory. And, and we saw that, that somehow this entire process, by showing that the gospel is not something that we merited or deserved because of our great integrity or our great goodness, or our great righteousness, by showing that, no, it is only because of God's grace, it is only because He has decided to do it that way, it really results in glory to God, because then His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His kindness shine more clearly when seen through the dark background of our own sinfulness and fallenness. It shows that God chooses us not because we deserve it or we earned it, but simply because he is God, because he's good, he's a father, and he gives good things to those who don't deserve it. So it abounds to God's glory, and this is what he says, again, you know, right in the beginning, to show that in verse 7, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And we talked about the fact that in the whole universe, everything that exists, everything that is, even the movement of atoms and subatomic particles, mutely, unseen, it's all abounding to the glory of God. The, 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 the gyrations of uh, uh, the, the, the planets, 
and the moves of entire galaxies as they go, as they recede and move and ebb and flow, all of this announces the glory of God, as the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God. And we ourselves, in this, this agony that we experience, being weak and frail and failing and insufficient, even that, it abounds to the glory of God. So you see that this experience of weakness and sinfulness already begins to have a, a, a value to it. Number one, it inures to the glory of God. And secondly, we also discussed that it shows us that um, even when we go through the deepest valleys of uh, suffering, trial, tribulation, failure, frustration with our humanity and our sinfulness, um, we discover that in the midst of it all, God is faithful. God um, does not abandon us. God is there as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. He shows his faithfulness, his constancy, his constant presence. And, uh, you know, he says that by, by you know, we, we may be hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. There's a series of um, ironies and a series of paradoxes, if you will. Um, we're hard-pressed on every side. Imagine this, can of, uh, this empty can of Coke that may be pressured, you know, by the forces of life and of difficulties, but it doesn't crush it. It, it, it retains its integrity. We retain our integrity in the sense of who we are. We're not demolished by the pressures of life because God is faithful even through these times. And actually that pressure has a, a very positive effect as we will see. So, you know, he goes through this series of paradoxes. We're perplexed asking ourselves, how can this be? But we're not in despair. We don't go into the depths of uh, suicidal thoughts or uh, despair and abandoning God and saying, this is over. I, I, you know, I throw in the towel. No. And we've discovered that as we go through these things and we feel like almost the water is coming to our neck and somehow the Lord then extracts us as he did Peter, who also showed his frailty. Um, you know, and, and he takes his hand and extends it to us, pulls us out of the water and allows us to continue walking over the waters and then into the safety of the boat where he will be in a very visible sort of way. So, um, you know, these, the, we, we, this inures to the glory of God, and at the same time, it shows that, you know, we will never be destroyed, no matter what happens in our life. So it is a call to hope, <clears throat> really. It is a hope to standing firm, even in the midst of the worst situations. Never give up. <clears throat> never admit defeat. Always wait for the bugle to sound, announcing the coming in of the armies of God in your favor and uh, in your rescue. There, it is a call to Christian constancy to stand firm, as Ephesians chapter 6 says, in the day of evil, because the day of relief will also come. So that's a second great thing that we, we discover through our trials and our tribulations, if we have the perspective of the kingdom. And that, talking about perspective, I want to go into the, a third extremely positive result of this experience of weakness and suffering. Um, it is that we are, being, we are renewed through this process. We are being renewed inwardly every day through this experience of uh, fallenness and failure and uh, sinfulness. We are, we, we are experiencing spiritual renewal and spiritual growth. So it says um, in uh, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. As we become aware of all of these redemptive elements of uh, suffering and, and weakness, we then decide, you know, I'm not going to lose heart. 
as a result of that. Uh, this is what I said about standing firm, you know, remaining uh, encouraged in the midst of difficulties. We do not lose heart because even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet incredibly, mysteriously, almost invisibly, we are being renewed day by day. So I want, I want you to put that emphasis on, on renewal, okay? On renewal. Um, because that's, that's really another element that happens. Even as we feel that we're wasting away, when we're going through these hard times, these, these lengthy processes sometimes that seem like an eternity to us, realize, administer to yourself a, a dosage of God's medicine by saying, you know what, even though I'm going through this situation, I know that somehow a part of me, the most important part, is being renewed. And by the way, I, I, as I was looking at this word renewal and renewed, which comes up several times, particularly in the, Old in the New Testament, you know, I discovered that there's a mysterious connection between that process of renewal and uh, the mind, our perspective, our understanding. I have always said that sanctification and growth begin in the mind. But not the mind, you know, of, of just the reason, not just that, that left brain side of ourselves. Amen. But um, it is, it is um, the mind, as, as the, the, the word gives, you know, that word, it is, it, is, uh, it, is both, it is both psychological, it is emotional, it is spiritual. It, it is uh, the soul, the deeper, higher faculty of ourselves. Renewal takes place there, and we need to experience renewal there in our understanding. That, that, that's the thing. There's a connection between renewal and understanding in um, the Word of God. So um, look, for example, at uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 23. And um, it says, you were taught, with verse 22, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, that is the same word, to be renewed in the attitude of what? Of your mind and to put on the new self. So this, you know, this renewal, what, it needs to take place in the mind. Look at Romans chapter 12. Also, um, verses uh, 2 and 3. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let me have time to go back to these verses because I just discovered a whole wealth of things that we need to talk about in the time that we are living in. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed <clears throat> by what? By the renewing of your what? Your mind. Okay? That you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The Bible is constantly calling us to the renewal of our understanding, our perspective, the way we interpret the world, our operating mechanism. Um, and, and that is something that I think the modern church, particularly in the highly developed nations, <clears throat> needs to experience and understand. When we come to the kingdom, we come to be, uh, to be uh, renewed in our understanding of the mind. Many people come to the church, they come into the kingdom, but they refuse to have their mind operated on. They continue with the same patterns, the same outlooks, the same worldview, the same understandings of 
sexuality, social justice, uh, relationships, finances, work life, all the material things. And they come in and they expect to remain whole, like that grain of wheat that, the, that Jesus speaks about. They don't want to die. They don't want to be confronted. They don't want to be disturbed. They want to be confirmed. They want to be strengthened in their beliefs that they bring into the kingdom. But they don't want to be, you know, really, here the word crushing is, is appropriate. They don't want to be crushed by the truth of the gospel. And so they refuse to give up all of these components of their mind and their understanding that they bring into the kingdom, you know, in this worldly perspective that they have lived. But when you come into the kingdom, God expects you to experience a lobotomy or a reprogramming. He wants you to, he wants to, God wants to take your brain, your mind, your perspective, your points of reference, your worldview, and he says, submit it to me because I'm going to do a, a work of complete uh, change, renewal, which leads to transformation, by the way. This is why Romans chapter 12 speaks about, you know, be transformed through the renewal of our mind. Renewal is a gradual thing. Transformation is a result, a, a, an absolute result. But through this gradual renewing of the mind, we are led into a transformation of the self. And this renewing of the mind... Um, it is a lifelong process where God is taking components of your worldview and, and of your frame of reference of the world. He's taking out, like if you take an old car and you start replacing it with new pieces. You take out one piece, put a new piece. Another old piece, put a new piece. Before you know it, what could happen? That you may have a totally new car. And, and this is what happens when, you, when we enter into the kingdom. We are entered into a process of breaking, confront, confronting, uh, and it's unpleasant. But it's supposed to lead to a transformed human being. So the man or the woman who was uh, addicted to addictive substances, drugs, all of a sudden finds the components that will enable him or her to break away from that. The businessman who lives only to make money and to affirm his... Uh, greatness through the acquisition of money and property realizes all of a sudden that, you know what, that's not so important. The important thing is what I invest in eternity. And so that piece of his mind, the way he sees goods and uh, property and uh, power is taken out and replaced by an understanding that power comes through humility, through breaking, through crucifixion, through weakness, and that only when we go through this paradoxical way of looking at reality, then can we truly ascend to the greatness that God has for us. So this is why then, you know, Philippians chapter uh, 4, I believe, it, uh, says, you know, let us have the same attitude that was in Jesus Christ, the same mind that was in Jesus Christ, who being God didn't hold on, didn't cling to that absolute greatness that he had in heaven, and he just shed it for something greater, which is obedience to the Lord, to God, to the Father. And he made himself weak, small, insignificant. But as a result of that, God gave him a name that is above every other name. So that before the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. So you see, the, the gospel has a, has a counterintuitive way of doing things. If you want greatness, power, influence, you first have to be broken, crushed, humiliated, die to self, humbled. And only then are you prepared to ascend to the greatness that you have been wanting. 
Then God gives you influence. God gives you ability to impress others, to teach others, and so on and so forth. But the gospel does things counterintuitively. The gospel does things totally different than the world does. And so when you come into the kingdom of God, you got to be prepared to go through this mysterious process, to be operated on, and to experience a renewal of the mind. And that renewing of the mind can only take place, ultimately, as I say, through crushing, through a realization of your limitations, through the fact, through knowing that it is only by grace, that you are nothing, no matter how intelligent you might be, no matter how well-educated you might be, no matter how much money you make, no matter how many bedrooms your house has, no matter how many toys you are able to accumulate, you are nothing. Sometimes that, these are obstacles to get to know Christ truly, the way Paul wanted to experience him, through his crucifixion and through his resurrection. And, and many Christians, they come into the kingdom and they expect, you know, and, and sometimes uh, teachers and pastors do a huge disservice uh, to the church by um, just uh, continuing addicting people to material things. And so we teach a very uh, superficial understanding of uh, prosperity. We say, come to the kingdom and God will give you the big house, the three cars, the beautiful husband or wife, the two children who are perfect specimens, and, um, you know, beautiful looking friends just like you, and so on and so forth. And we teach them that. We don't teach them about the cross. We don't teach them about this dark filter that I spoke about earlier that, that we have to be taken through in order to produce a pure believer. And we don't, we don't uh, stop to think about the fact that, you know, the Christian life is a life of crucifixion. It is a life of uh, God submitting you to his uh, work. And that uh, there will be moments of glory and great uh, exaltation and, and great celebration of wonderful things. There will be displays of God po God's power in your life. You may be prospered, as I said earlier this morning, but you will not be addicted to prosperity. Because you know that there are more important things. And that sometimes God may take away your prosperity in order to show you his true uh, self. He may take you through periods of want. He may take you through periods of uh, illness. But it will all inure to the renewal of your life, to the, the growth of your life. And we're not able many times to, you know, uh, maintain these two things in tension. And this is the problem, you know, it is such a complex thing that many times we will be tempted as preachers and as teachers to abandon one or the other because there is safety in the extremes. So you will have churches who will only preach about faithfulness, about the crucifixion, the cross, trial, testing, being faithful, and uh, because they think that that's what it is all about. And then others will preach about victory, about health, about prosperity, facile, easy prosperity, triumph, that's a resurrection. But what about the crucifixion? Well, that's the crucifixion, but what about the resurrection? And we have to live in the tension of the two. I think uh, there should be more churches that can, that can live in the tension of the two, both the darkness and the glory, both the depths of the tomb and uh, the brilliance of Resurrection Sunday. And unless we understand that, we will be missing it. And this is, I think, what he's speaking about, about this renewal, this renewal uh, that we experience when we go through this process. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What is being renewed? The understanding. Look at Colossians chapter 3. I just want to hammer this so that you understand that this is a theme. It is there. I'm not fabricating this conveniently. It is a theme that goes mysteriously on. Somehow, the Holy Spirit's mind connects this renewing experience with uh, the renewing specifically of the mind. Again, of the understanding. A profound understanding of that uh, noetic, that, that um, uh, yeah, you know, the, the interpretive framework within which we uh, experience and interpret life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It's just a call here, verse 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken of your old self with its practices. Notice that, the old self that you bring in. The old self is that, you know, that self that understands the world through lying, deceit, deceitful practices, Lying to ourselves, even. Uh, manipulating others. Uh, seeking the preservation of the self. And it says, you know, don't practice those things uh, that come from the old self. But here's the clincher. You have taken off. You're supposed to have taken off that old self. And to have put on the new self, which what? Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of of its creator. You see here, um, it is the idea, when we come into the kingdom, we come with this old self that hampers us, that, that trips us up, that is always seeking its own preservation, that doesn't see the world through the mysterious eyes of the gospel, that uh, sometimes shows us that the way into the kingdom is uh, through dying. That the way to greatness is through being humbled. That um, influence comes from recognizing that you don't have the right to exercise influence. Because you would corrupt anybody that you touched. But then when you, when you discover this, uh, this way of the gospel, when the old self that has come in into the kingdom uh, begins to be operated on by the teaching and the influences of the Holy Spirit... And the values of the kingdom of God and the word of God. As this loving process of, uh, you know, struggle begins to assert itself over your life. And you allow the Lord to do that. To have his way in you. Then uh, you will be renewed in the knowledge and the image of the creator. And then all kinds of wonderful, amazing things happen. And I, I don't have time to get into it, but maybe we, we'll just continue in this line of thinking. Because then you discover things that are, the world doesn't understand. So he says, for example, here, even in verse 11, here, where is here? Here is this new understanding of reality, new understanding of humanity, new understanding of the world, new understanding of relationships, new understanding of society, new understanding of all the patterns of a cultural living. Here, in this new understanding of the kingdom, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, slave or free, but Christ is in all. And is all and is in all. That's a bomb right there that if it explodes in your brain, it will short circuit it. 
Um, when you see the kingdom through God's eyes, then all these things that we struggle for, uh, all the things that, that are right now happening in America and in the world, they become secondary. So that you, you see your Latino brother or sister, you know, as who they are, creations of God. You see your African-American brother or sister. You see the addicted person nodding on Melnea Cass and Massachusetts Avenue. You see them in a different way. Children of God, creatures of God, just like you are. All of a sudden, these distinctions that so divide us become totally secondary. And you realize that this world of differentiations that is so characteristic of the, the, the flesh um, really, it, it's just an illusion. And, and um, we are supposed to live in a, with a different mind, a different understanding of reality. And all this, this renewal of the self leads to, or rather this renewal of the mind leads to the transformation of the self. And then when that happens in your life, you see, when you allow the Lord to do these things in you, you stop resisting the trials. You stop resisting uh, the, the, the inconveniences and discomforts of the world. You stop resisting it. You merge with it. You even welcome it. You are patient with it. Because you know that God is doing something mysterious that you don't fully understand with you. He's working through these uh, inconveniences and these experiences of frailty and of weakness, like a surgeon with a scalpel working on a patient on an operating table. He is cutting, he is uh, connecting, he is um, extracting. It's painful, it's humiliating, but it's worth it because it produces something extraordinarily beautiful and glorious. And, and then you experience the power of the resurrection. Again, that's, that's, what he, that's what he is saying. You know, that as you, as you experience that, you experience the glory of God. You experience the glory of the Father. And um, that is an extraordinary thing to experience. Only then can we experience the true power of the resurrection. This experience of weakness, as he says, achieves in us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of the discomforts. As we are renewed in our understanding of Christ, we become stronger. We are enabled to overcome the limitations of the flesh. We become more like Christ in holiness and power through these constant experiences of our weakness in our testings and our trials and, we, and the failing of the test even, we are forced to constantly revise our understanding of the word and of our relationship with Christ as well as ourselves. Our perspective, our worldview, our frame of reference is changed. And... Uh, now you are able to see life through this way because many of the mistakes that we make and may, may, many of the things that we assign a huge amount of importance to 
they're not that important when you look at them through the perspective of the kingdom. They're not that important. They're simply the, the rustling of the waves on top of the sea while the sea itself remains unruffled and unaffected. And that's what the devil wants. He wants Christians who are superficial and who only judge according to the superficial. Because there he can manipulate us. And he can distract us from the truly fundamental eternal things. But when God renews your understanding, then you begin to see what's really, what really matters. History is an illusion. Progress, ultimate, is an illusion as well. Please remember, I'll connect to... Uh, that series that I where I discussed the Solomon's understanding of the world in, in Ecclesiastes. Because all of these things are interconnected. And I told you that um, what you see in the book of Ecclesiastes is uh, the perspective of God about human history, about human processes, about economies and political processes and all these different things. It is a, it is a different understanding. It, 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 is, it is a it is a cosmic understanding of, of your life, of human history, of all the events. We're not swayed as much as we might think. Because then you realize that, you know, this world has been a certain way and it will continue to be a certain way until God puts a stop to history. It doesn't mean that we do not struggle to change certain things, but we do it with the perspective of a wise man or woman who has lived thousands of years because the God who has programmed us now in the new kingdom understanding has lived thousands of eons and he allows you to participate in his view, his perspective of the universe, of the world, of current events. You see it in a different way and I know some of you may be even resisting what I'm trying to say here but that's okay. You know, I'm here to confront, I'm here to teach you what I believe is the perspective of the kingdom. Don't walk away when you hear things that disturb you about the, the perspective of the word because the, the kingdom will scandalize. Jesus will scandalize. And in our time, he will scandalize even more so. I believe that the scandalizing effect of Jesus Christ and his kingdom must actually increase rather than decrease. We have many pastors who are making every effort not to scandalize and actually, we need to scandalize more. We need to confront more. I need to be scandalized more. I need to be confronted more. Because God wants to renew me. He wants to change me. And I, I were, let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to, how to go through that process. Uh, there's more, more. I'll, I'll continue next time I'm able to. By the way, next week, uh, I'll tell you something about next Sunday. But, uh, you know... Um, this, is, uh, this is what the call of God is, saying don't resist this process of pain and trial that you're going through. This COVID thing, for example, don't, uh, don't curse it. Don't lament it too much. Even when you, wake, when you wake up in the morning and you feel, man, when will this be all over? Even when you feel that you're at the end of your rope, administer to yourself, uh, uh, again, a medicine, the medicine of the kingdom. Say, Lord, have your way. I'm not sure what it is that you're doing at the collective level or at, at, at my own level, but I, I, I trust you. Teach me what you are doing through this. Strengthen me. Crucify me. 
let this experience of weakness that I'm going through, the, the sadness, the depression, the fear, the panic, which contradicts your call to remain strong and motivated, even that failure to perform as you want me to, let that also glorify you. And let that crucify me a little bit more and have your way. This is the way the believer works through these uh, moments, these, uh, this, uh, these momentary troubles. Um, we adopt the perspective of the kingdom and we let God have his way in us because he's doing something. He's, he's glorifying himself, which is exactly what the universe requires for its health. He is showing us that uh, we can take it and we can actually even prosper through these moments of, uh, of pressure and uh, being knocked down. We can grow in that. He will never leave us or forsake us. And thirdly, he is, uh, he is uh, renewing our mind, our understanding of life and experience. And that is producing in us an ever greater manifestation of God's glory. We will talk a little bit about what happens when you go through that experience of the renewal of your mind and you understand that God is doing all of this to strengthen you and you actually begin to experience that, that strengthening, um, you're going to start rejoicing. You're going to start celebrating even in the midst of your pain because God is doing something amazingly beautiful. He's creating a saint. He's creating a man or a woman of God, crucified, crushed, emptied, uh, as Jesus was emptied. And then you, there will be a vessel ready for God's use and filling. I, I want him to continue doing that. Why don't you invite him to do that right now in your life? Have your way. Tell the Lord, have your way. Father, tie my hands when I try to intervene and interfere with your mysterious ways. Bind me tighter to the operation table and, and have your way in me as long as you want, as deep as you want. Have it because I want to become like Christ. I want to experience the glory of his resurrection. I know that I must go through his death first. But Lord, help me not to grow impatient, not to interfere with your processes, not to try to improve upon your ways. Lord, I pray that Lion of Judah, your church over the earth, will be able to flow in synchrony with you and your mysterious processes. Renew our mind that we, we might be able to see the light in the middle of the darkness, the divine hand, even when it seems to be Satan who is in control. Give us the mind of Christ. Enter us into that mind of Christ. And let us remain tethered to your word, not to the demands of this culture, but to the eternal constants of the gospel and your revelation. I invite your power in right now in this congregation. Begin with me, Lord. In Jesus' name, re just receive, 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 invite, interact with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I declare that through this moment, we are being entered into the Holy of Holies. We are being renewed. We are being strengthened. 
we are being drawn closer to Christ. You are experiencing that in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, move. Breathe on your people. And through this prophetic deposit of people who are here, move through those that are at home. Move through your, this city. <clears throat> move through your church, universal. Prepare your church for your coming. Renew your church, Father. Work in us. Prepare yourself a habitation, Lord, through this community and through your church as a whole. Confront us, Lord. Confront us. Break us. Crush us, if need be. But do not stop working through us. Change the lenses, Lord, so that we might see <clears throat> reality as you want us to see it. Welcome, welcome, Holy Spirit. We thank you. Invite Christ into your life. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't had a, a, a revelation of his reality, of his lordship, why don't you ask him right where you are right now, Lord, I am ignorant, tell him, but I want to get to know you. I invite you, Jesus, in your divinity and your lordship to come into my life because I want to know you. And I, I, I give you that stature of Lord over my life. I acknowledge you for who you are, the Son of God, God himself, <clears throat> with a perfect right to move as you will in my life. And I know that I'm not worthy of your holiness dwelling within me. So I confess my sins before you. And I pray that you will move in grace through my life. Acknowledge that. You need his grace. You need his forgiveness. And you need his lordship. Ask him to come in and he will come in. I, I, I assure you. Jesus Christ will come in because he has promised that he will. Invite him into your life to sit on the throne and to initiate his process of transformation, renewal. Do that right now. Invite him, invite him, and then promise yourself, I'm going to walk this walk. I'm not going to shortchange myself. I'm not going to cut any corners. I want the kingdom to have its full way in my life. I will do things by the book, and I will not resist the work of Christ in my life. Invite him to come in, to take over, to work in your life, to have his way. Lord, come in, in all your fullness and glory, and establish your lordship over my life and over your church over this earth, Lord, because there is nothing better than your glory and your kingdom installing itself. <clears throat> and we thank you. Hallelujah. Have your way. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I don't want the message to be lost. We have a special guest uh, Sunday. You may want to hear his testimony. It's a t testimony of transformation, personal transformation, radical. Maybe it would be a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about here, but uh, incarnated in a human being. So I invite you to come. He's an English-speaking man. I don't remember his name right now, but I know who he is, and I've heard his testimony before. And he we will have the privilege of listening about his journey and what, what he experienced and how God transformed him in a, an amazing, 
radical sort of way. So you don't want to miss that. Invite others to come this coming Sunday. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.